This Friday, the moment we've all been waiting for. The first major global gathering in a while. The opening ceremony of the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games embodies the dreams of the world's best athletes, but also the hope of so many more after an unprecedented year. The record was scratched, and the needle is tracking unknown and likely bumpy tracks. But the tune is set to begin. On today's show, making the most of the world's attention with Masters of Ceremony. Am I going to hit the center mark in the middle of the stadium with no markings on the ground? Because if I didn't hit that center point, then my uh, wires couldn't come down to be hooked up. And then the whole opening ceremony would have been off center. I think any opening ceremony for any country, what you're trying to do is show the world what your country is about. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium, a podcast about the Tokyo Olympic Games. As we near Tokyo, we'll bring you the story shaping the greatest athletic competition in all the world, held in extraordinary times. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi, and over the 12 episodes leading up to the opening ceremony, we'll dive weekly into a facet of these games to discover the people and the places that will define them. Hey, Lauren, this is Ahmed. That lead-up is almost over. This is actually the last weekly episode of the season. I know. Isn't it crazy? What a ride it's been, hearing so many new stories and voices, but also fresh angles on the Olympic moments that are etched in all of our memories. But the podium is just getting started. From July 23rd right through the last day, the podcast will switch to a daily release schedule so you can continue to get a different angle on the events that dominate Tokyo along with the stories that may or may not be on your radar. The podium, as of Friday, coming to you daily from the games. It takes a strong body and a strong mind to achieve. With NordaTrack from iFit, we train both body and mind to empower you to be what you want. Work out with world-class trainers as they guide you through heart-pumping cardio, strength, and more. Train your mind as our experts guide you through mindfulness and meditation sessions. Be part of a community that is striving to be their best selves. Be what you want. NordaTrack from iFit. Use code IFIT to receive a free heart rate monitor with equipment purchase at nordatrack.com. There will be billions, with a B, watching the opening ceremony. It's become a must-watch spectacle where organizers try to fit their nation's past, present, and future into a stadium show full of surprises and personalities and technical wizardry. Because of all the memorable things we've seen in recent opening ceremonies, it's easy to forget they weren't always like this. They began as daytime formalities, with Antwerp's 1920 post-war games serving as the template for future ceremonies. They were to include an athlete display, a verbalization of the Olympic oath, and the release of doves after the lighting of the flame, cementing the idea that peace would reign between participating countries for the duration. Well, a lot has changed. 1964 was the last time the Olympics were in Tokyo, but it was the first time that the ceremony was broadcast live globally. 1988 marked the final opening ceremony to take place entirely in daylight. It was also the catalyst for the removal of live doves from the program. 
1984 Los Angeles and 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games upped the ante in theatricality and taking the ceremony from a sporting event to an all-out musical and popular spectacle. The Atlanta Games answered, and since then, we've been treated with a biannual arms race of celebrity storytelling and inspiration that's sure to cater to audiences around the world. We wanted to talk to someone with a very distinct vantage point, someone who was the center of the world's gaze for over an hour and who wasn't just watching the story. She was telling it. The people who put together the opening ceremony had lots of young ladies to choose from, and I'm sure that all of them were wonderful in their own way, but I doubt they could have made a better decision than Nikki Webster. She was really, really cute, and weren't you surprised to hear that her parents... I'm Nikki Webster, and I am from Australia, and in the Sydney 2000 Olympics, I played the hero girl in the opening ceremony. Nikki, this moment, you're 13 years old, you're all alone, the entire world watching. What's going through your mind? To be honest, I didn't really think about the rest of the world watching. My my main goal was to make everybody in the stadium enjoy the show um, and also to make David Atkins and Rick Birch proud, who had given me the opportunity to play this role. Um, if they were proud, then I was happy. If I did a good job for them, then that was all that mattered to me. Um, I didn't really think about the rest of the world, probably you know, it was a good thing that I didn't, but I didn't, I didn't really think about the rest of the world watching. I was more just enjoying, um, the experience and, and the performance and all this hard work that everyone had put in. We only have one night to do it. It's not like a musical where you get to do it over and over again. One night, but there's so much that led up to that, right? Tell us about how you even ended up here. I guess a big casting call, a big cattle call that we, that everybody kind of knew about. I was lucky enough to have representation at that time because of my, um, I guess, background in musical theatre and being quite well known in Australian musical theatre. I did Les Mis, Sound of Music. Um, I did Aladdin, Cinderella, lots of different musicals. So that was my background as well as doing some commercials um, and a little bit of acting and things like that. Um, so I got sent for the audition and it was six months worth of auditions in order to get the Hero Girl uh, role. It was quite an extensive audition process. They, From what I understand, they travelled all around Australia to find who they wanted to play the Hero Girl, what they wanted her to represent also, her role kept changing. So initially, she was just in the deep sea dreaming segment, which was the opening segment where she flew. Um, but they then decided that she would connect all the different pieces and all the different areas of the opening ceremony to create that story. So her role kept changing. And, and I think that was a lot to do with the way that the audition process was going. We had to fly, we had to dance, we had to act. And then later on, they decided that she also needed to sing, which is when the hero girl sang Under Southern Skies. So it was a bit of a process of elimination in terms of the audition process. We'd go back, there'd be less girls and less girls and less girls. And I didn't actually get the role until the beginning of September when they told me that I had the role. It was about 15 days before the actual opening ceremony. So it was a pretty intense time. And what was it like when you actually got the part? Were you excited? Were you terrified? A little bit of both? So I got told I was going to be Hero Girl one night after, um, you know, another audition. Um, it was getting quite close to the actual opening ceremony. And my family and I had actually booked to go away because we live quite close to the Olympic Stadium and we'd booked to go away to move out of the area because everyone said it was going to be so busy and you won't be able to get anywhere. 
and we had to actually pay. We paid our deposit and it was that point where you're on your trip and you have to pay the final instalment. Um, and so my parents were like, well, if you don't tell us, we're going to have to either lose our deposit or go, you know? Um, and so then after, after the audition that night, they sat us in a room, all, all the kids that were left. And then they, they told us, um, that I was lucky enough to have the hero girl. Um, and it was a bit, it was a bit unbelievable. It was a bit of a shock, really. I, I couldn't actually believe it. Um, and I think I was in shock the whole time. And then we just got home and it was just really, really exciting time. It was a really proud time, exciting time. I'm sure it was. Tell me about the preparation leading up to it. Um, I spent a lot of the time with the Aboriginal community and Bangara dance community and learning about the Aboriginal culture, um, which was fantastic. I, I got to work with Jakapura, who was the Aboriginal man in the opening ceremony with me, um, a lot and he kind of you know took me under his wing and and really kind of allowed me to soak up the culture and and the whole experience so not only was it great to to get the role I also became a lot more aware of of what our country was about and and about the talent that we have in this country and just um yeah hugely honored to be able to work with some of the best uh or the best you know directors and, and creators in our country so it was it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, there's this whole nation-building storyline, right? This seems to be common to the more recent opening ceremonies. Did you have that sense that you were representing Australia? Do you remember the excitement about hosting? Um, when the Olympics came, it was all over the TV. So I, I definitely always loved watching um, the Olympic uh, throughout my, you know, I guess, young life. Um, and I remember actually probably one of the most vivid memories is when we actually won the bid to be, um, to host the Olympics. And I, uh, I remember getting up early and watching that with my parents. So to, to actually years later get the role of the hero girl was pretty awesome because I remembered them saying, Cindy's going to host the Olympics, um, and thinking what that would mean for our country. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, I can only imagine. What were the few days leading up to the opening ceremonies like? Were the practices intense? So none of the segments uh, practiced together until the dress rehearsal. So each segment would have their own rehearsal times at their own space. And I wasn't allowed to, I guess, discuss any other sections or segments that were involved um, in the opening ceremony. So everyone knew what they were doing at their point, but they didn't know what came before them or after them or anything like that or how the whole show worked. Um, so it was pretty awesome to kind of be at those rehearsals and to see it all come together. Um, it was very, very secretive. I, I also chose not to tell my parents a lot about the opening ceremony because I wanted them to watch it um, and enjoy it like the rest of the world. So I was pretty secretive and keeping a secret with, with my parents as well. Um, my family were lucky enough to get tickets and they sat in actually what was a press box um, with, all the, with all the overseas press and uh, they sat there and I think they started talking to some of the press before the show and said, yeah, my daughter's in the show and you might see her because they didn't actually know what I was doing. And then as, apparently as soon as I walked out and then I started flying, my parents were like, oh, oh my God. Her parents had no idea that she kept the opening ceremony a secret. What a poised young lady. Said she wasn't nervous and kept the secret, even from her own family. The parade of nations begins. And um, and so I think I'm one of the press people leant over and went, "I'm assuming that's your daughter." <laughs> um, and I think it was just a really proud moment for my parents, and and they got to be involved in the opening ceremony because everybody in the audience had lights and 
they got to help with one of the big sheets um, that, that reflected some of the projection on in one of the segments. So it was a really inclusive, I guess, audience um, during the opening ceremony. So it was nice for them to experience that as well. But yeah, so that that's kind of what I remember my parents saying was their first. I don't think they could talk throughout the entire thing. They were just like, oh, 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 <laughs> the, the whole time because they didn't really know what the hero girl or what I was doing. Support for this podcast comes from Facebook. The world of skateboarding is changing with more skaters than ever coming together on social platforms to do amazing new things. Like in Ghana, where Joshua O'Dampton created Ghana's first skate crew on WhatsApp, then teamed up with Sandy Alibo on Instagram and expanded it from a small community inspired by skaters abroad to a culture that now inspires skaters and fashionistas all over the world in return. We change the game when we find each other. To learn more about Joshua and Sandy's story, visit facebook.com slash change the game. This summer, Olympians and Paralympians are hosting live interactive experiences on Airbnb. Hang out with all-time greats and rising stars from all over the world. Get closer to the games with experiences live from Tokyo. Learn how to cultivate a winning attitude and more. Get to know athletes like never before through Airbnb experiences. Check it out at Airbnb.com. And now, an improbable but not impossible Olympic moment with Ahmed Farid from NBC Sports. From all five continents. First impressions, you only get one chance to make them. In some cases, chance gives you quite a stage. Since the 1928 Olympics, it has become tradition for Greece to emerge first in the parade of nations. After all, they started this whole thing. Led by the Greek flag, welcome them, the athletes of the world. This Friday in Tokyo, the refugee team's white flag and athlete delegation will follow second. The host nation marches last. All other federations appear in alphabetical order. Simple, right? Well, what alphabet? Although English and French are the official Olympic languages, the host nation's language is meant to order the parade. But even that isn't quite as straightforward as it sounds. The 1992 Barcelona opening ceremony was arranged by French alphabetical order in order to avoid stirring up a debate over Catalan or Spanish priority. In the 2008 opening ceremony held in Beijing's iconic crow's nest, the nations appeared based on the number of strokes in their Chinese characters. All these complexities combined in the opening ceremony of the 2004 Athens Olympic Games, leading to a beautifully unexpected moment. Camera flashes light up as the crowd anticipates the over 10,000 champions. All eyes are on the mouth of the tunnel. Proudly, Zephyrinus Joseph from the Caribbean island country of St. Lucia emerges first. St. Lucia. Zephyrinus probably wasn't called anywhere near the top of any attendance list, and yet here he was, leading the world's sports heroes. The confluence of circumstances that led the middle distance runner here is unique. Greek athletes, as the hosts, would go last instead of leading. 
The refugee team would only be included as of 2016, and the 24 letters of the Greek alphabet played their fair share too. Now, St. Lucia translates to Ialukia, meaning it starts with alpha, the first letter of the alphabet, followed by gamma, the third. So that beats out their geographic and alphabet neighbor, Ios Vikerios, known to us as St. Vincent and the Grenadines. St. Vincent and the Grenadines. This was the only time Greece has not been the first nation announced in almost 100 years at one of the most watched events on earth. In front of 77,000 assembled in the stadium, half the population of tropical St. Lucia, Zephyrinus Joseph had one very unexpected moment in the sun. Nikki Webster, Hero Girl, were you aware of any doubts or were there any concerns of something going wrong in the show? Yeah, so the most, I guess, important thing, and one for me because I love to do it, but also for the opening ceremony was uh, the Hero Girl flying. Um, It was a very long segment. She was up in the air for... I think six and a half minutes, which uh, was was a huge amount of time for a young child, but also anybody to be up on, um, uh, to to be in a harness and and up in the air. So there was a lot of training that went on with that. But also it depended on the wind. If it was too windy, the hero girl wasn't going to be able to fly. So there was a lot of pressure in terms of, is she going to fly on the night? And in one of the dress rehearsals, it was way too windy and I couldn't fly. And then on the night of the opening ceremony, the wind was picking up. And I remember saying to David Atkins, hey, what happens if she can't fly? And he said to me, don't worry, we've got a plan. And I said, but are you going to tell me the plan? Like, what does the hero girl do for all that time if she can't fly? He said, don't worry, I'll let you know if you need to know. Because he was just, he was adamant and positive that it was, we were going to get there. But um, so that, that was probably the most stressful time was just before the, the opening ceremony trying to work out all the, you know, is is the hero girl going to fly um, and things like that. Once once that first segment was over, it was just a joy and, and lots of fun. But, uh, but up until that point, it was pretty stressful to know, am I going to fly? Is it going to go right? Um, am I going to hit the centre mark um, in the middle of the stadium with no markings on the ground? Because if I didn't hit that centre point, then my uh, wires couldn't come down to be hooked up. And then the whole opening ceremony would have been off centre. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty stressful for me. But um, after that, it was once I got that and I started flying, it was just a lot of fun. Um, there were some funny little things that happened. The One of the jellyfishes um, that were under me in the deep sea dreaming segment uh, came up. They obviously had lost a little bit of control down below and it came up way too high and, and hit me on the feet, which wasn't meant to happen, but I just kind of made it look like, oh, yes, I'm walking on a jellyfish. Um, so there, there were funny little bits like that that happened, which I think is the best part of a live production. You just you're adjustable and and you you have fun with have fun with it. So um, yeah, and and I guess the only people that know those little things are the the insiders and the performers on the night. <laughs> well, Sydney was one of the first to use a narrative thread and a protagonist. Now it's sort of expected, right? Do you remember what the thought process was behind it? I don't actually. I, no, I, I don't really know a lot about that. I guess because I was quite young when I got the opening ceremony. It's pretty awesome to watch 
uh, the opening ceremonies now, how they have involved young children, you know, so there's been a young girl and a young boy and and what they represent. And it, it makes me pretty proud to think that maybe the hero girl was one of the first uh, young children in the opening ceremony. And, and um, I, I think it, uh, I guess, being a protagonist, you can empathise, you can sympathise, you can feel, um, you can uh, connect. Um, it, it connects all the segments. They're not just uh, standalone segments. There's a storyline, there's a common thread um, and at the end you can walk away with your own uh, conclusion of what you thought she represented, who she was um, and and how it, you know, your version of, of your experience of, of an opening ceremony. We don't know exactly what the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games will look like and the ceremony is, as always, a well-kept secret from even its protagonists. It was just fun to see it all come together and, and to know that everybody was working for the same goal, yet we didn't act, nobody actually knew what it was going to look like in the end. Um, it was a really proud moment. There were people from all over the world volunteering to be a part of the opening ceremony in some small way. When you tune in on Friday, that's what you should watch for, working together towards the same goal without quite knowing how it all fits together, but with the assurance that it will be spectacular. Nikki, what will you be thinking when you sit down and you watch the opening ceremony in Tokyo? I'm like, why can't I do it again? Or why can't I be there and watch this live? I'm watching it on TV. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a big Aussie family girl and, and, and we love to just spend time together and watch it um, and, and share. I guess it gives us time to reflect on the way out. our lives changed as a, as a family as well. Back when I did the opening ceremony and after that, and then we always kind of reminisce on the days after the opening ceremony, the weeks after and, and how my life changed um, after that. So it kind of gives us that moment to reconnect in with each other and, and um, be proud of what we've accomplished since, you know, at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. I, I love it. I, I love any theatre. I love any production. And that's what an opening ceremony is. It's a production. Um, I I love to see the joy on the performers' faces. Like, this is what they've lived for. This is what they've worked so many months for. Um, and just how it all comes together. It's The energy's electric and, and it's the energy of the performers to the energy of the people watching. Um, it, it's electric to watch and it kind of translates all the way through to the TV screens as well. Um, and, and as I said, it's, it's a memory that people will never forget. Um, it's just awesome and it brings people together from all different walks of life that would probably never cross paths before. You're all standing and sharing the stage or the stadium or this moment in, in time. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything else in the world that can do that. So it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Excited? So are we. We've been waiting a long time for these games, and the opening ceremony is sure to be unforgettable. The NBC primetime broadcast of the first major global gathering since the pandemic will feature special coverage of Team USA, along with the performances, pageantry, and parade of nations, the heart of any opening ceremony, which will be especially meaningful this year. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on NBC, as well as the NBC Sports app and NBCOlympics.com. That's primetime, but considering the importance of this moment, NBC will also cover the ceremony live starting at 6.55 a.m. Eastern and across all time zones so we can share that exact moment of lighting the cauldron together. 
Additionally, Peacock will have the must-see moments of the Tokyo Olympics through their four daily shows running from 6 a.m. to midnight Eastern. Tokyo Live will get you up to speed on the day and follows all the action as it unfolds. Tokyo Gold highlights the incredible performances. On Her Turf celebrates female athletes. And Tokyo Tonight wraps up each day to make us all feel like we're on the ground in Japan. Watch the Olympics on the networks of NBC. Stream every event on NBCOlympics.com and in the NBC Sports app. That's it for this week's episode of The Podium. Follow now wherever you're currently listening to get automatic downloads. And remember, we're coming to you daily from the ground in Tokyo starting July 23rd. So you don't miss a single story. The Podium is produced by NBC Sports Audio in collaboration with Boombox Group. Executive producers are Gary Zenkel, Molly Solomon, Sam Flood, and TJ Walker. Coordinating producers are Rebecca Chapman, Dave Gobble, and Eileen Sokol. Written and produced by Roman Lettuce Dompnier. Music supervising, sound editing, voice directing, and additional writing by Jordan Weiberg. Location audio recording by Tobias Haynes. Producers are Eric Hamilton and Tess Quinlan. Associate producer is Sam Tidings. Our editorial researchers are Andy Dougherty, Sarah Hughes, Rachel Thompson, and Barbara Pescanzer. Additional talent contributions from Mary Carrillo and Ahmed Farid. And a special thanks to Joe Jessu, Gio Carapetian, Derek Shear, Lewis Clark, Jake Gellerman, Justin Carp, and Rich Zuckerman. And I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. <laughs>